Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 23. That which defiles The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. But Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evil come from inside and defile a person. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for for Jesus, Lord, that um, through through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, we can know you, we can talk to you, we can pray to you, and we can have a relationship with you. And we pray now, Lord, as we we sit under your word, that you will, by your spirit, uh, show us what we need to hear, move our hearts to, to repentance, move our hearts to obedience. Help us to be a people, Lord, uh, that honor your name above our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it's no secret, right, that I, I'm a movie buff. I love movies and uh, I'd love to get paid to watch movies. But there's a bunch of movies coming out from Hollywood in these last years. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's this anti-hero villain genre, right? Uh, let me give you some examples, if you know what I mean, like the backstory of the villain. Uh, Batman's Joker, 
I don't know who watched that, but Joker came out a couple of years ago. The story about Arthur Fleck and how he was dealt a bad hand in life. He had a condition where he could, where he uncontrollably laughed. He was often bullied and picked on, and then he became a villain. Uh, not because it was something in his nature, but it was a result of his environment, a result of his experiences. Uh, a few more movies. Uh, Cruella. Who watched Cruella here? Uh, yeah, a few of you guys. is a villain from 101 Dalmatians. If you've watched that as a child, they made a backstory, a movie about her. Uh, uh, she's a fashion queen. Her mum was murdered. She grew up as an orphan. She was mistreated. She wanted revenge. Turned bad in the process. She became a villain. Maleficent. Another one. Maleficent. Villain from Sleeping Beauty. She was this gentle soul, a powerful fairy, protecting a, a magical forest. She falls in love and then she gets betrayed and all that stuff. She turns into a villain. Now, a few examples, but it's interesting, isn't it? This is all in the last, what, decade? Uh, all these stories of, of good people turn bad because of the, the environment around them. They're not born bad, they're made bad. Now, I, I find that really interesting. It's not about their nature, it's, it's their nurture that leads people to such villainous ways. It's so interesting. The problem isn't within, it's out there. And aren't we all just products of our environment? Don't blame the person for their actions. Blame their misfortune. Blame the society around them. Blame the bullies in their life that mis who mistreat them until they finally snap. And maybe this is a reflection, isn't it? A reflection of our society around us, the pop psychology that we're told that, that's being fed to us, that if we just peel back the layers, peel back the layers of, of uh, our world and understand humanity a bit better, maybe we'll start to see that people aren't inherently bad, that they're inherently good, and they sometimes just do bad things. Isn't that what we're being told in this world today? Isn't that what all the movies are telling us? Villains aren't born bad. Bad things just happen to them. Now, while that sounds good and feels good, is it true? Are we all just products of our environment? People of nature, not nurture. People of nurture, not nature. You see, when we hear from Jesus, he shows us that the problem lies a lot deeper than we think. He gets to the core of the problem with humanity. And, and, it's, and, and it's so relevant to understand for every generation, including us today. Why is there still so much wrong with our world? How do we fix it? He confronts this head on. And surprisingly, when he addresses it, who does he address it with? Who does he, he call out? He calls out the good people of his day, the religious leaders. They're the ones who everyone in society would have seen. They're the good people. They're the ones that we want to be like. But what does Jesus do? He calls them out. Jesus turns religion on its head and what they uh, define as good as well. So let's read what it says. Let's keep your Bibles open because you'll need that as we get through it. Chapter 7, verse 1 says this, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Here's what's going on first. Let's stop there. The Pharisees are at the scene. They're part of the religious council. They taught people how to obey the Jewish law. They're calling out Jesus. They're questioning him on why his disciples aren't washing before they eat. They believe that if you do this religious ceremonial washing of your hands before you eat, you're, if you don't do it, you're unclean. You're defiled before God. Let's be clear, right? This isn't a hygiene issue. He's not talking about hygiene. Uh, you know, we want to be hygienic as people, naturally, hopefully. 
hopefully naturally, <laughs> uh, you know, you do want to wash your hands after you go to the toilet, right, men, even after number one, you should, please, wash your hands. Uh, and with COVID, we all know that, don't we? Sanitize, we, we're all about hygiene, good hygiene practice. Pharisees aren't talking about that. They're not talking about that type of washing, they're talking about a, a ceremonial washing. It was given way back in the Jewish law. In Exodus 30, you can read that later. But the law was given to priests. Priests specifically to wash their hands and their feet before they go into the temple to meet with God, to approach God. That was the law originally. It was this outward act to reflect that inner spiritual cleansing. But what has happened over years and years and years? They've extended this rule to all Jewish people now. All Jewish people, before they eat as well, they should wash. And, 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 and they go as far as, as saying, you should even wash all your utensils, you know, all your cups and pitchers and kettles. Wash all your utensils as well. So everything's going through the ceremonial washing. But why? Where did this idea come from? Mark gives us this commentary in brackets. You can see it in brackets, can't you, there? This ceremonial washing didn't come from the law. It came from the tradition of the elders. This is man-made religion. And we saw that happen earlier in the book of Mark, if you've been with us for the last few weeks. They tried to catch Jesus out on the Sabbath. If you remember that, that, that week, uh, what was once a good thing, Sabbath, a time to rest, was used and it, was, it, was, uh, burden, it became a burdensome thing to follow. Same thing here, this design for good, this washing, ceremonial washing, was a sign of purity but became enslaving and burdensome to the people because over the time the religious leaders created these traditions, these extra rules that people have to follow or you'll be labeled as unclean. We should be understanding. Let's try to be understanding, though. They have the law given to them, and they probably wanted to be super careful about it. You know, they, they think about it. If, uh, it. It's good to be clean before God. It is a good thing, right, that, that they want to adhere to. In the same way that if you met up with someone important, you'd want to be a bit clean too, wouldn't you? Clean and fresh. You're going on a, on, a, on a date with someone special. You're going to a job interview. You're going to brush your hair, aren't you? You're going to brush your teeth. You're going to put wax in your hair or, or pomade, brush, you know, all that sort of stuff. Deodorant. A bit of deodorant doesn't... goes a long way, okay, everyone? Put on some deodorant. I, 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 I feel this way. I get off a plane and, you know, and you, you feel greasy. You need to wash your face, right? Whatever. But you get it, right? You want to scrub up. You want to be clean. Before you see important people, none of us want to stink. Now imagine approaching God. God is holy. He is without sin and blemish. To enter into his presence requires cleanliness. And so the priests, they had, a, they had this reason to do ceremonial washing. God told them to do ceremonial washing. It was about God and what he requires of us. So they spread the word and they extend it, and then they tell everyone, well, you should do this before you eat as well. Let's add another rule, so it's not just the priest. Everyone's doing it. Let's wash the utensils as well. And these traditions are formed. Not overnight, over time. It's just like you've, you've built this hedge around it. And over time, the hedge just grows and grows. And then all you see is the hedge. And that's what happens. The tradition of the elders, it's a slow drift over generations. They forget why the law exists in the first place. And for the priests, it, it's... it's it, it, it's, it becomes this burdensome tradition for everyone. We hear Jesus rebuke them, don't we? And we can hear this frustration, verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. It's so interesting. He's frustrated. Last week, uh, if you were here last week, we heard about how Jesus fed the 5,000. 
Remember what happened? He saw the crowd, and how did he feel? His heart was broken for them. He had compassion for them, like a, a, a sheep without a shepherd. That's how he saw them. He sees the Pharisees now, the religious leaders, the good people in society. And what is he feeling? Frustration, even anger. He calls them hypocrites. Uh, this is so telling, isn't it? Because understand the context again. The ancient Greeks, right? They did theater. They did theater and uh, the word for an actor was hypocrite. They wore a mask on stage. They, they faked who they were. An actor was a hypocrite. Jesus is calling them hypocrites, like actors. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know that word isn't unfamiliar to, to Christians. Uh, people call Christians hypocrites. Some deserve it, not going to lie. But guess what? Jesus, the founder of Christianity, is here calling the religious leaders hypocrites. Because religion and telling people how they should live without being honest about your own shortcomings, that looks like hypocrisy, doesn't it? Easy, hypocrisy is easy to come by in any religion. He mentions how Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament spoke this very message. The people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The, the, the people think that they're, they're following a set of man-made rules and traditions and that will honor God. If I just follow these lists, follow a formula, say the right things, give God the lip service, then God should and will bless me because I deserve that. Being good didn't come from inside. It came from the externals, washing hands, following rules. What does it look like, giving lip service? I mean, it's not uncommon for many in the church as well, is it? We go to church, we say all the right things, we, believe in, we say we believe in Jesus, we join the Bible study groups, and on the surface, we look like Christians. We sound like Christians. But it's just a facade. It's lip service. Perhaps you want to fit in. Perhaps you want the perks. Perhaps you want friendships. You want to look important. You want to look respected amongst peers. But our hearts don't really know God or desire Him. That's why Jesus is angry. Your hearts are far from God. But you still give God that lip service. The Pharisees here, they've led people away from God's commands to their traditions, to their religions. And they're not questioning Jesus, saying, why are your dis disciples disobeying God? They're questioning Jesus, why are your disciples disobeying us and our forefathers? See, this happens when we do religion. We make it about us, what we can get out of it, and not about God, who's at the center of it. Jesus says in verse 9 that they've set aside the commands of God in order to observe their own traditions. And as he moves on, he, he illustrates it with another example, verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Really interesting. He's using this illustration to, to, to bring home his point. We know the commandment, right? One of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. That's a good thing, that we care for our parents. And the idea is we care for our parents into old age when they're needy and vulnerable. But what religion created was this thing called Corbin, right? Now, God's law was twisted. And what they've done is they made it about them, not about God. Let me explain. The idea of Corbin it was this religious tradition where a son would dedicate their property to the temple, to the religious leaders, as part of their will. It was held on trust, essentially. It was Corbin. If it was Corbin, then it meant that the, the son could touch it still in, in his lifetime, but his parents couldn't. No one else could, not even his parents. 
the son would uh, die and then it would get transferred to the temple, dedicated to the temple, dedicated, essentially, the idea was to God, but it was dedicated to the temple. Now, this idea of Corbin wasn't in the Bible. It wasn't in the law. It was something the religious leaders came It was a tradition. Right? So Corbin meant the son's own parents wouldn't be supported. They wouldn't be honored when in need. God says, honor your father and mother. But Corbin, this tradition formed, meant religion was more important. The temple profits out of this at the expense of the needy and the vulnerable, your elderly parents. So Jesus calls it out as it is. The word of God is diluted, watered down so their traditions and their religion can be upheld. You can see it, right? Jesus hates their man-made religion. But isn't that the mistake that sometimes Christians fall into as well? Isn't that why people outside of the church see Christians as hypocrites? Just a bunch of rules to obey. Do this, do that, be a good person, dismissing who God is at the heart of it. Sometimes we make Christianity not about God, we make it about us. I can't count the number of times uh, I've asked people, what, what, what is Christianity? And they replied, to be a good person. Even people in the church will say this, to be a good person, to go to church, give your money, pray, help people when you can. Is that it? Is Christianity really just about what we do and not do? I'm not, I'm not surprised if people turn off Christianity if that's all Christianity is. It's missing the why. It's missing God at the heart of it. It's missing Jesus. It's missing the relationship. And instead of a relationship, it sounds a lot like religion. To get to heaven, to be rewarded, to do, to, to do good things. It's not about God. It's about you. That's not what Jesus is about. Where religion says, do this, do that, Jesus says, it's been done. In and through him. That's what Christianity is about. The thing about religion is even though we may try to follow these lists and rules, we won't ever make it. If I just, if I just stop swearing, if I treat people better, if I obey the law, I'm an upstanding citizen, go to church, pray, give some money, we're all good. But how do you know you've done enough? How do you know you're all good? How do you know you're good enough for God? Who are you comparing yourself to? Your, where, where does that standard come from? The person next to you? You know, there's always going to be someone else more conservative, someone who's more uh, better at following rules than you. There'll always be someone also who's more disobedient and rule-breaking than you. But we know it feels good to be religious. It makes us feel a bit proud of ourselves. And we come to God and we say, Hey, God, I, I deserve to be blessed. Look at all the good things I've done. Don't I deserve your favor? Look at how many rules I follow. Does that impress God? Am I, is, is, he, is he giving Mikey, you know, Mikey, oh, I'm so impressed. Standing ovation. How do you know you've done enough? You don't. Because reality is you do stuff up as well, don't you? I stuff up all the time. And you have to get back up and try again and try again and try again. And it's exhausting. It leads to anxiety. It leads to insecurity. Because failure messes with us in our pride. And we're always going to feel the weight and burden of religion. Because we're trying to fix an internal problem by following a bunch of external rules. We've got to start with the fact that we're human and we're not perfect. We do fall short. Jesus knows that we fall short. And where we can't meet God's standards and laws, Jesus does. But let's hear what else he has to say. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. <clears throat> Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? 
for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Uh, we have the crowds, right, and the disciples here, right, the, 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 his followers that we keep seeing pop up in the Book of Mark. He's speaking to what being defiled and unclean actually means. The religious leader talks about being unclean as like the ceremonial washing and, and all that sort of stuff, and he's using that as a springboard to talk about this idea of being unclean now. Is it about washing hands? Is it about what you do, what you eat? Why is it that Jews have to eat food that is kosher, like no pork or other foods? Why is it that Muslims have to eat halal food? Religion tells us to be clean before God, before God is to not eat certain foods that God calls unclean. Jesus isn't saying that God is wrong for making such laws, but he's just declaring something here, that to be spiritually clean, to approach God, is going to be, it's not going to be about the external. I think what he's saying is, is really profound, right? In, in a world where the religion tells you about what you can and cannot eat, he's saying, you know what, it's not about the food. It's not about the food that you put into your stomach. He actually, it's going to come out the other side. Jesus is talking about poo, poop, right? Poop is dirty. It's unclean. Poop will defile you. You need to wash your hands if you touch poop, right? What a great illustration he's telling them. What's going to make you unclean is what comes out the other end. Yeah, that's what's going to make you unclean. He's, he's using the everyday thing that we do. That we can understand. He's like, are you so dull? Let me tell you about poo right now. That's going to make you unclean. Oh, I get it now, Jesus. Thank you. The food you put into your bellies isn't going to save you and make you pure before God. Jesus declares it here. Christians aren't bound by food restrictions. We aren't restricted because our diet isn't going to save us before God. The problem isn't from what's outside of us. It's from what's within our hearts. He goes on, verse 20. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. I don't think that uh, that list is exhaustive, but he touches upon a lot of issues there, doesn't he? External hearts that, that flow, overflow from the heart. Yeah, I, I've... I've I think I've shared this before, but I'm going to show you something right right now. I'm going to whoop. Now, why did water come out of my water bottle? Because I shook it. But why did water come out of my water bottle? Because there's water inside my water bottle. Why didn't Coke come out? Why didn't lemonade come out? Why didn't juice come out? You see, sometimes life is like that. We get shaken around. What comes out? Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's uh, rage. Sometimes it's uh, envy. Sometimes it's slander. Sometimes it's arrogance and folly. Life shakes us about sometimes, doesn't it? And what comes out? What do we usually do? We blame the circumstances around us. I'm so, I've been so stressed at work, you know, that's why I'm getting angry. You, uh, this person treated me badly. That's why I, I'm being selfish now and greedy. Uh, I talk to a lot of married couples about this, and we get so angry at each other all the time in marriage, and we blame the other person. This person didn't treat me right, therefore that's why I'm, I'm, I'm just doing payback. Well, we do that because that's what's inside. What is our heart filled with? Our heart is filled with, with, with sin, essentially. And we've got to understand that, and that's what Jesus is trying to say, what comes out, the evil, even evil thoughts. It comes from the heart. Our hearts are stained by sin. It's a part of our, our nature as humans. And in its essence, sin, our rebellion, 
And rejection of God means we care more about ourselves than we care about God. Even our good acts, our religion, is stained by pride and entitlement. You can see it when we try so hard to be good and you do all these good things. It's, I've seen people, we get bitter when someone else gets the recognition that you think you deserve. Why are you doing that, those good things? Because you want the recognition. I mentioned movies earlier like Joker, Maleficent, Cruella, right? And while it's easy to say that they're victims, sure, the reality is they all had it in them. In the same way, all the people, the crowds surrounding these characters in the stories, they all played a part, whether passive or active. They played a part to create the monsters they became. Sin is in our world, but it's not just out there. It's in. It's so much easier to blame society, isn't it? To blame the other person. But don't we all make up what we call society? Aren't we all culpable? I don't think anyone in the room can confidently say that we do what we know we should do all the time and don't do what we know we shouldn't do all the time. We stuff up. Sometimes it's intentional and we actively do things we ought not to do. Other times it's unintentional or we're passive and not stepping up when we ought to step up. You see, the thing about sin is it's subtle. A stain, a guilt that we all feel, have experienced. And sometimes for some of us, we're more self-aware, we know that there's something wrong. Not just outside, but something wrong inside as well. There's that um, Shakespeare play, Macbeth. You guys remember? You guys know Macbeth? Yeah, yeah. We teach it in, in our schools. Uh, I learned it in high school. You know, it's a story about a man and woman who kill their king to take the throne, uh, and it demonstrates this feeling so well, doesn't it? This this idea of feeling stained. Lady Macbeth, after the murder, she's seen washing her hands constantly, hoping every day that she can clean off the guilt that she feels from taking the the life of King Duncan. But no matter how much she washes her hands, she simply can't remove the stain. And isn't that the same for all of us? We try to wash our hands, eat kosher foods, do the right things, follow a bunch of rules, but the stain is still there. We feel it in our weaknesses. We feel it in our worthiness. There's always something missing. We have to take a realistic look at humanity. Even if the Hollywood stories and pop psychology tell us otherwise, we, we, we're told that villains are made because of their environment, but let's be honest, you can grow up in an environment of love and privilege and still end up as the villain. We aren't good and sometimes we aren't good and sometimes do bad things because at the very core of everything is our sin. You know, we ask that question, what is wrong with the world? Well, the problem with the world is, is me. The problem is you. The problem is us. The problem is sin. Take a deep look and assess your own heart. What's, what's in your heart that overflows to your thoughts and to your actions? What are you consumed by in your daily life? Is it the desire for comfort, to get that bigger paycheck, wealth, the desire for, for love? Our hearts are consumed by it. And when our hearts want what the hearts want, our minds justify it. We, we scroll through, through Tinder, go on serial dates, indulge in pornography and one-night stands. And we justify our hearts saying, God doesn't want me to be lonely. We get consumed by investments and finances and long hours for the bigger paycheck and we justify the greed in our hearts saying, one day I'll give more money. I can be generous if I just have more money. The, the heart wants what the heart wants and we pursue those things and as we do that, we distance ourselves from God. We say, he's not enough. We defile ourselves before God. The sin within shows itself in our thoughts and in our actions. See, the reality for all of us in every culture and generation is that 
we as a people, we have a nature, hearts rooted in selfishness and pride and sin. We are all unclean before God, before the perfect holy God. And we need to address that deeper problem. The heart that defiles us, that makes us unclean. How do we fix it? You see, the solution, you go to those self-help empowerment talks, the solution is try harder. Change the way you think about yourself. I mean, good stuff, pop psychology. Face your demons, your childhood traumas. Be courageous, be vulnerable, 100%. I'm not going to say that that's wrong. Good to do, but then what? Will that be enough to make you good? Good enough to stand before God? Friends, we need a compassionate, merciful Savior who can cleanse our hearts, who can change us from the inside out, who can do a, a spiritual heart surgery, cleansing from the inside, a spiritual transformation that we simply can't do on our own. And what we read in the Bible is God does that for us in Jesus. When, when Jesus goes to the cross, his blood covers our sin. You see, the solution can't be in you if you are the problem. It can't be in me if I'm the problem. We need the stain of our sin to be removed, our sin to be forgiven. And it's only through Jesus, through his perfect obedience and sinlessness, he clothes us with his righteousness so we can enter into God's holy presence. You see, when we fix our gaze on Jesus, our hearts change. And our heart's desires are no longer the desires that are meeting my wants, but the desires of God. Religion makes it about us. But when our hearts are captivated by Jesus, what overflows from our hearts are actions and thoughts and desires that seek to please God and not ourselves. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to change our hearts. So let's bring it back to where we started. While we look around and we keep hearing this narrative, being products of our environment, we should really dig a bit deeper. Why is society the way it is? Why are people still mistreated, dealt a bad hand, victims of misfortune? Maybe, this might be a stretch, but maybe Hollywood actually, maybe Hollywood actually wanting us to see the deeper issue and that the problem lies in all of us. And the truth of the matter is that inherently we are actually all a little bit bad. And sometimes it's just that snap where we become villains. But deep down, we're all capable of it. We've all got hearts that aren't right with God. And so maybe it's time to admit it. And maybe uh, we, it's time to admit that the default isn't that we're all inherently good after all. And realize all of us, humanity, regardless of what the external looks like, whether it's good deeds or bad deeds on the surface, the problem exists in our hearts. We need hearts that need cleansing, hearts that need to be transformed. Will you let Jesus rule your hearts? Will you let him enter in and cleanse you and purify you from the inside out? Put your faith in him. Turn your heart to him. Because repentance and being good and righteous before our holy God, it actually doesn't start by doing a list of rules. It's not so much about what you do to get it right, but to see and trust Jesus and what he has done for us. It starts with a relationship. A heart that's purified and ruled by our King, our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, create within us a new heart. Replace this heart of stone with, with a heart of flesh that knows you and desires you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for the sin in our hearts, but we, but we do pray that your Spirit will be at work changing us, renewing us, giving us new desires, desires that find satisfaction and gladness in you. We pray that you'll help us not make it about us. You'll help us to kill the religion that is self-serving and self-seeking. Help us, Lord, to center our lives 
on Jesus, on the gospel, to repent and obey because you're the one worthy of our, of our worship, worthy of honor and glory. And Lord, we pray this um, in your son's name. Amen.